Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the TV Confidential podcast. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to the TV Confidential podcast. Or better yet, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Hi, this is Ron Mesa, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Man is really the most interesting jackass there is. It's his idea, you see, uh, that the deity sits up nights to admire him. (laughs) He's the creator's pet. (laughs) Now, you may wonder why. Well, because of his intellect. (laughs) Man is the reasoning animal. Such is the claim, uh, though I do think that's open to dispute. I, well, I've been studying this reasoning animal for years now, and I find the results humiliating. Ed Robertson with a reminder that James Moses Black of NBC's This Is Us will join us later on in the hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us along with our guest, Mark Dewidziak. Mark Dewidziak, television critic for the Cleveland Plain Dealer for more than three decades and the author or editor of more than 20 books on film, television, and American popular culture. Mark is here tonight to share a few memories of his dear friend, Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook, the award-winning actor known to three generations for his portrayal of Mark Twain in his one-man show, Mark Twain Tonight, but who obviously left his mark many times over in movies and in television. Hal Holbrook passed away earlier this year at the age of 95. As we pick up the conversation, Mark was about to talk about how Holbrook was far more than Mark Twain. You know, Hal Holbrook won five Emmys, five, count them five, and not one of them was for playing Mark Twain. That alone, I mean, his work in the TV movies, landmark TV movies, like That Certain Summer, mm-hmm. or Pueblo, mm-hmm. or miniseries like Sandberg's Lincoln, which he did win an Emmy for, mm-hmm. or the, the one season of The Senator, which is still a sublime season, which he also won an Emmy for. Mm-hmm. The movie work, the, uh, the stuff like as small a role as it is, but the, the authority he brings to Deep Throat in All the President's Men. Even sort of the minor stuff he did in the horror field like Creepshow and The Fog are wonderful performances. And again, when you put it all together, and even at the end of his career, he gets a role like the role of Ron Franz in Into the Wild. So... When you put all of this together, when you put this career together, the stage work, the TV work, the film work, it's really such an impressive career. And that's why, you know, I, 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 Twain will always be the thing of theatrical legend. What he did with Twain, he lived with one role for, ready, 63 years. 63 years living with one role. You can go back to the Greeks and not find the equal of that. Yeah. And you're not going to. Not only does he play one role for 63 years, he does it in an ever-changing show. It's not like he said, all right, now I've got my two hours. I'm going to lock it in and live off this for the rest of my life. He basically said, if I do the same material, it'll kill me as an actor. It won't be challenging anymore. So he kept adding and subtracting to the show. 
I saw Mark Twain tonight on stage. I lost count how many times I saw it. But let's say, you know, maybe 15, 16 times. And, you know, people would say to me, how can you see the same show over and over again? I said, because it's not the same show. That's why. <laughs> it's a different show. Every single time he's gone through about 18 hours of material as Mark Twain. And he, the show always reflects the times. It always reflects where America is today. So it was, it's always a very powerful experience. It's always a different show. And I just, you know, I just uh, love seeing it. So, you know, and, you know, I, I'll point out something else. Is if you started in your early 20s playing one role and, and did it for 63 years, which is almost impossible because you would age out of any role. You know, Hal had the advantage of starting by playing a man at 70 in 1954 and then continued to play it for the next 63 years with the same look. But if you did start at, with someone, you'd have to live to be in your mid-80s and still be able to perform on stage for that length of time. So it's not likely this, this feat is ever going to be equaled in theater history. So it's going to always be this amazing thing, but it's also an amazing piece of Twain scholarship because, and this is the great secret, and you know, people are always surprised to hear this, but there are no recordings of Mark Twain's voice. We don't have them. It's not that he didn't make them. They all went up in a warehouse fire. And the, since then, there's been no authenticated recordings of Mark Twain's voice. We have recordings of almost everybody around Mark Twain, Theodore Roosevelt, Booker T. Washington. We do not have an authenticated recording of Mark Twain's voice. So Hal Holbrook put together his characterization in the 1950s. You know, only about 40 years after Twain died. So there are a lot of people around who knew Twain, including his daughter, his private secretary, the son of his lecture manager. They're all helping Hal get the voice and the mannerisms and the timing and the delivery right. If we have any clue that we know the, how Mark Twain sounded, it's because of Hal Holbrook. Wow. So I went to school on Hal Holbrook. We all did. I always like when I talk to somebody who says, oh, you play Mark Twain. You know, I play Mark Twain. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you go about researching? Well, I studied. Really? What did you study? Since there are no recordings, and since there's only a few seconds of film footage taken by Edison in, in the, the last year of Mark Twain's life, since that's all that really exists, how did you do this exactly? You know, I'll tell you right away. How did I learn to play Mark Twain? At the end of every show, I tell the audience. I learned by watching Hal Holbrook. It's not to say that I copied him. It's I say I went to school on him. And I learned how to do it and developed my own Mark Twain by interpreting and then watching him as guidance as far as what Twain might have been like on stage as far as his voice and his delivery goes. So he's incredibly important to Twain research. He's incredibly important to theater history. But then you also have to take the whole career. Again, you have to take all of the television, all of the movies, all of the theater work, and realize he is an actor's actor. He is. And as Martin Sheen used that expression to define him. When you put it all together, you realize you are in the presence of nothing less than an actor's actor. And again, that was Martin Sheen's definition of him, and I think that's a very good one.
Mark Dwidziak is with us, along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen. Mark is sharing a few memories of his dear friend, Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook, the legendary actor who passed away earlier this year at the age of 95. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Tony and Donna, you want to jump in? That was an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, it's a lifetime, you know, it was a, a long friendship and a lot of stories. I'll tell you something else about Hal, which is um, Hal once told me, because Cal had this awful childhood. He really did. He had this, this Dickensian childhood. Um, his mother deserted the family when he was very small. He doesn't, does, has, had no memories of his mother. And it wasn't until... He was uh, a young teen, and he had come back to Cleveland, which is the city of his birth, to live with his grandmother. And he'd gone down the basement. He found uh, the trunk his mother had left behind, and it was full of costumes and dancing shoes and programs. His mother had been a dancer, a performer. He didn't know it. He had no idea that his mother had been in show business. Uh, He knew nothing about her. And his father... Um, literally went crazy and ended up in an institution when he was young. This is why he was sent to Massachusetts to live with his grandfather as a boy. And then the grandfather sent him to a boarding school, not to be mean, just because to give him a good education, the boarding school was was run by this Dickensian headmaster who beat the children on a regular basis. So Hal told me once that he couldn't remember being hugged until he was in his 20s, ever being embraced or hugged until he was actually in his 20s, um, which is odd because when I knew Hal, the first thing he'd do was throw his arms around you. Yeah. He was a big hugger, you know, a bear hug. Um, but he spent a good deal of his life um, suffering from that, carrying that around and not being, I think this is why acting was so important to him. Acting allowed him to express things he didn't feel like he could in everyday life. And he had a hard time expressing emotion and, 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 and feeling free like he could until, until he married Dixie Carter. Dixie brought Hal out because Dixie comes from this very warm West Tennessee family. They are huggers. They are very demonstrative. And Dixie gave him license to say what was on his mind and to say, express his emotions. And she brought, he he just blossomed under Dixie. The radiance of that was Dixie. And to be Hal's friend was to be Dixie's friend. They were both such delightful people in different ways. Hal could not get off the phone without telling you he loved you. He'd say it. You, know, you get to the end of the conversation, you know I love you, don't you? And, I mean, that's a heck of a thing to hear. Yeah. And, you know, he, 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 he wanted to make sure you heard it. He wanted to make sure you knew it. And, you know, that was Dixie. That was Dixie's influence. Uh, so, I mean, he had this wonderful gift that Dixie gave him of being able to, you know, and, and, and not to make it sound too, because we had a lot of laughs. Yeah. A lot of, Hal would go out on the road. So I'd see Hal, you know, in different cities and different things, and I'd see him when I'd go to Los Angeles. You know, we would have, I'd either go up to the house uh, or 
Uh, we'd have dinner or lunch somewhere, you know, but we always made a point of seeing each other. You know, I was in Los Angeles twice a year, and then we'd see each other other times during the year when he was on the road. But I'd only see Dixie when I was in Los Angeles because, you know, Dixie didn't, she was on a show all the time. She was on Designing Women. She was on, you know, one thing or another. So my wife, Sarah, who is an actress and is from Tennessee, uh, East Tennessee, uh, Sarah's from East Tennessee and Dixie's from the other end of the state, was from West Tennessee. They never got a chance to meet each other. You know, she, she had gotten plenty of opportunity to meet Hal, but not Dixie. Sarah and I were asked to do a special performance of the play Love Letters at a small theater in Akron called Coach House Theater. And, you know, and we did it, and we, you know, we, we had a fine time. I'm, I'm not the actor that, that Sarah is. Sarah's a really good actor. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm a ham and egger when it comes to acting. But we did it, and, you know, uh, the audiences seemed to like it. And as, almost as soon as we were done, it was announced that about like a month later, a special engagement, Hal and Dixie were coming to Akron to do Love Letters. The very same show, and they were going to do it at E.J. Thomas Hall. E.J. Thomas Hall, which seats about, you know, 3,000 people, and we had done it in a theater which seated about 90 people. So I called Hal and said, you know, I feel so bad for you guys. And he said, why? I said, well, you know, you're coming to Akron, my town, to do love letters, and we just did it here. You poor schlubs, you can't follow us in Akron. <laughs> and again, I got the laugh. Ah! <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, this was the chance, so we all went out to dinner afterwards. And it was the chance for Sarah to meet Dixie. So Hal and I didn't talk. We just sort of sat back. I said, we want to watch the Sarah and Dixie show, you know. This is worth a ticket. <laughs> so we just sort of let the two Tennessee girls do the talking. And Sarah kept calling Dixie Miss Carter. Just saying, Miss Carter, Miss Carter. And uh, Dixie kept saying, Sarah, honey, call me Dixie. Yes, Miss Carter. Yes, Miss Carter. <laughs> Sarah called me Dixie. Yes, Miss Carter. And finally, Dixie got it and said, "You grew up in Tennessee. You can't do it, can you, Sarah?" She said, "No, I can't, Miss Carter. I really can't." <laughs> <laughs> I was always told you don't call somebody familiarly with. Like, you know, she said, "It's all right, Sarah. It's all right." Well, the two of them were hilarious together, you know. And, 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 you know, we, we just there, sat there beaming throughout the whole dinner uh, as, as the two of them bonded uh, over that dinner. So that was, it was just great fun. And this, like, there's an endless line of stories is what I'm telling you. Like I said, we literally could be on the phone for hours and hours and hours if I start charting the friendship here. <laughs> Mark Dwidziak is with us along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen. Mark is sharing a few memories of his dear friend Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook, the legendary actor who passed away earlier this year at the age of 95. Thank you for just giving us a glimpse of your 35-year friendship with Hal Holbrook, Mark. Uh, I'm always happy to talk about Hal, his career. His, he was you know, just a, a very, very special person to me, but a very special person to a lot of people. You know, he touched an awful lot of lives, 
he touched, you know, the, the, the generosity of his spirit. And like I said, you know, Howe was very tough on himself. Somebody once said to me, was, was he difficult? And I said, well, Howe was no harder on anybody than himself. He always kind of blamed himself for different things, like not being there for his kids when they were growing up, because he was on the road a lot and had to make a living, and there was difficult times. And where other people would make excuses for themselves, Hal didn't. You know, Hal would take the blame uh, for things. And so, so to, to, to the extent that sometimes you just wanted to shake him and say, oh, cut it out already, you know? you know? But interestingly enough, Mark Twain had that same instinct. Somebody once said that Mark Twain always seemed to be looking for a big enough crime to say that he was guilty of. You know, he, he rewrote history to his, his own detriment sometimes. He told stories on, on himself and would make himself the, the villain of the story when later on people said, it didn't happen that way. You know, he had nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they, they, they did kind of share that. But he certainly, it's an amazing life. It, it, it really is. There's a second volume. He got the first volume of the memoirs published. It's called Harold. And, you know, I read the first version of it. He sent it to me and another of his friends to read. And it was very long. And it covered his whole life. And, you know, he said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderfully compelling reading. It's a little long. Will the publisher commit to publishing something? He said, well, no, they feel the same way. So the plan finally became up that uh, they would split the, the memoir in two, and he would they would publish the first half that would cover his childhood and his early years as an actor, and it would end with the opening of Mark Twain Tonight in New York in 1959, when it became one of the most celebrated events of the theatrical season. So it ends with the opening, and... Uh, a famous actress, I want to say Margaret Sullivan, but I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But she came backstage to see him. And, you know, everybody was just cheering and celebrating this show. And he'd been a struggling actor. He'd done soaps and summer stock, and he'd been touring at all these places. He'd been doing Mark Twain for clubs and nightclubs and, you know, uh, fairs and anywhere he could do it. And now all of a sudden... He's the most celebrated actor in New York, but he nobody knows what he looks like because he's celebrated for playing a 70-year-old man in heavy makeup. So even though he's he's he's, he's 30 <laughs> something years old and nobody even knows what Hal Holbrook looks like. So, you know, Margaret Sullivan came backstage to see him and said, oh, Mr. Holbrook, this was so wonderful, but how, how are you ever going to follow it? And it was the question, I mean, it brought him up short, because he realized, what now? <laughs> you know, and in, in fact, for a while, the only work offers he'd gotten after Mark Twain and I opened was to play old men. Yeah. And, you know, he... So the second volume was going to be basically the response to that question, how he went and he built a career as an actor in movies and television and continued to do Mark Twain, found a way to continue to perform as Mark Twain. And so the second volume was going to take it all the way up to, and then his marriage to Dixie and all of that. Well, the second volume was written, and it was left behind, but it, it didn't get published. The first volume didn't do quite as well as the publisher had hoped it would have done. 
So they didn't do the second volume. And it remains unpublished. And it's there in some form. It's there, and it, it was not finished, finished, but it was written in some form. So there's this entire manuscript about this incredible stretch of years that are going to come up that have never seen the light of day. So one of the things I would like to see in the next few years is I would love to see that part of the manuscript get published because I think it would be an incredible thing for his legacy and for people to know, hey, the story ain't over yet. This story's just starting when Mark Twain Tonight opens. So that's one of my great hopes is that that volume does find print. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us along with the guest Mark Dwidziak as we remember the life and career of Hal Holbrook. Mark will be back for some final thoughts on the legacy of Hal Holbrook at the end of our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll take a quick time out. Then we will welcome back film and television actor James Moses Black. We come back on TV Confidential. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty Group the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.